Amen. You can be seated, church. I want to welcome you to Next Community Church. Good morning. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here. If you're a guest or a visitor this morning, we want to welcome you, and we're, uh, we're thankful that you're here, and uh, we pray that you'd feel welcomed here. Um, if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. There's a card right in front of you there in the seat back pocket, and bring that card um, after the service. Would you just fill it out? We've got a gift we want to give to you up front, and um, we're, we're, we pray more than anything, you just know how much God loves you, and, and we're glad that you're here. I want to say good morning to those of you joining us online as well. Good morning to you. We continue on this morning in the last section dealing with prophecy and eschatology. Eschatology is the big theologian name for the study of end things. And so we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. The name of our series is Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World. And um, we, we come to this third and final part of eschatology, of end times things. It's kind of been a little mini-series we've done in the middle of the, the bigger series. And, um, and this is important. This, this stuff, it continues to hit me more and more as important because today Paul's going to emphasize the why he's been talking so much about the end and how things are going to happen in the end. He's going he's gonna to give us the why this is important and what difference it should make in our lives and, and why it matters and how you and I should live in light of this. And my prayer is, as we're going through this, my, pr- my prayer is that you, you won't be discouraged um, or frightened um, or have the attitude, I just can't wait till we're done with this end time stuff. Can we just move on, right? Because, um, uh, and it would be easy to, to, to adopt that, uh, that perspective, but, but this is important. And, and um, I mean, there are more verses about the second coming of Christ in the Bible than any other topic. It, it is, it is an, an important subject. Um, and, and, I mean, in general, this is, this is kind of what's interesting. In general, we are people that like to know the future. Um, I mean, the horoscope and psychic uh, industry makes millions of dollars in the United States every year. Why? Because people want to know the future, right? And so we read those horoscopes and pay money to go psychics and, and take magic eight balls and shake them and say, what's going to happen here? And do all kinds of silly things like that. We'd love to know the future. And I just want to tell you this morning, it's, it, God's telling you the future, right? It, it is in here. He's telling you the future. You want to know the future. God's telling you the future. And here's the thing about God. He's always right. So what we're doing is we're taking the word of God. We're shaking it and let it fall out. And here's what God is saying through Paul to the Thessalonians about how things are going to wrap up in the end. And God's always always right. You can trust his word. He's got a 100% accuracy record. And so my prayer this morning is that you would not grow cold towards this, that you would not um, be indifferent about it, but that through even this little mini, mini series that we're doing, it would kind of awaken you to certainly what's going on in the world and what God is doing. And how do you then live in light of that, in light of this, how should we be the church and what do we do? Um, that's why the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, which is all prophecy, talks about, it, it opens with this. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, here's what it says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. And, and so 
there's a blessing pronounced over the person that hears prophecy, receives prophecy, keeps what is written, and lives in light of that prophecy. That's, that's, that's God's heart. Is he's, I want to tell you the end, and you're going to be blessed when you pay attention to what is to come. And then um, 22 chapters later, 22 chapters in Revelation, the last chapter of the Bible says this in verse 7. Look, this is Jesus speaking, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So the, the book is bookmarked with this pronouncement of blessing to those who care about end times and who listen and live in light of this prophecy. And so I would, I would say it like this. If you're going to jot anything down this morning, jot this down. Prophecy gives us a glimpse into the future so that you and I know how to live today. Right? We know how to live in the present. And so my prayer for us as next is that whether you're all geeked out about end times stuff and you love this or you're way on the other side and you're just like, I hope we can just kind of move on, that we'd all, we'd all come to the middle together and say, all right, this is important stuff. It's all throughout the Bible. If you rip out all of the prophecy and the apocalyptic stuff and the end time stuff, you'd be ripping out about 20% of the Bible that you're just having me doing away with. And so um, this morning, let's, let's put our, our, our faith and our hope in the word of God. It, it, the, the prophecies protect us from deception. It leads us to not be hopeless and to just look at this world and throw our hands up in the air and be so discouraged, right? Um, when you understand that this is not our home, when you understand God is in control, he does have a plan, Jesus is the king in charge of everything. When you really know that and you really believe that, it allows you just to breathe and to be okay with everything that's just backwards in this world because you know God's in control and this is not our final home. So, Having said that, here we are, chapter 5. We begin the last chapter in Thessalonians. We'll, we'll go through August in Thessalonians, and then we wrap up the summer with Labor Day weekend, baptism weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. And so chapter 5 is where we begin here, verse 1. Here we go. I'm going to read 11 verses. Stay with me. 11 verses it wraps up this end times section. And, and then we'll go back and we'll un- unpack each verse as we go, Okay. Here's what it says. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That's a new term. We'll define that term. If you were here two weeks ago, um, we talked about, uh, I gave you a bunch of definitions of some end times lingo and terms. Here's a new one we'll define. The day of the Lord. We'll come back and define what is the day of the Lord. Verse 3 goes on to say, When they say peace and security, then... Sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep... Sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I shared with you last week about uh, four main reasons why I believe that that the next thing on God's program is that he's going to remove the bride of Christ, the church, from the earth and start dealing with national Israel again through the tribulational period. And so I, one of the reasons why I said is because there's all the verses in the Bible that say God's not going to pour his wrath out on us. This wasn't even one of the ones I gave you. I knew we were coming up to this one, so I saved this one. But even just reading it in the flow of this end times conversation, in the middle of this end times, and, and, and this is chapter 5, it continues right on. We left off last week with chapter 4, my personal opinion. Uh, no disrespect to those in the 1300s that put in chapters and verses, divisions in the Bible. There were, that wasn't original, right? But I think they made a bad break here, um, starting chapter 5. Like, it's all one thought, Paul's end times thoughts here. And so chapter 4 ends end times, and chapter 5 is still end times. It, it should have been just one long, continuous section if I was the editor of the Bible. But thank God that's not the case. You all can say amen to that. But here... Verse 9, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us? So that whether we are awake, alive, or asleep, dead in the ground, we may live together with him. And it ends again with this encouragement. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another. Like, in light of all this, because of this, therefore... Encourage one another and build each other up. This is your doing. Live in light of this. So let's go back. Let's look at these verses. Um, we'll, we'll talk. I just want to, I, I, I constructed, I looked at my, what we ended up with last week, and it was, it was a mess. And so um, we constructed, hopefully, what is a little bit more of a neater picture of how things are going to go. Here we are living in the church age, right? I share with you last week, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen as to why I believe I gave you four, I think, good reasons why the, the rapture is the next thing that's going to happen is God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back and remove his church from the earth. Um, the dead in Christ will rise first and then us will meet Christ in the air, return with him to heaven, and then seven-year period of judgment and chaos erupts on the earth as God pours out 21 different judgments on the earth. You can read about that in Revelation 6 to 16. During that time, the earth is progressively getting wicked. We said people disappear. There's a world leader who appears, who is, is going to be bringing peace and safety, peace and security. No, no, we're good. We're good. We got this. It's going to unite the world together, make peace in the Middle East. It's going to seemingly be a savior of everything that's just gone crazy in the world. And so the whole world is going to kind of follow this guy. And then at the end, it's going to be revealed that he's actually very wicked, but man's heart is already going to be so wicked, they're just going to go along with his program. And, and, and it's, it's going to continue. If there was a graph, if I had a graph here of evil, it would be going like this. Evil is increased. As time goes on, evil is increasing until Jesus comes back at his second coming and ends up kind of defeating the Antichrist at this battle of Armageddon. That's how the, the tribulation period ends. Jesus physically returns to earth. Revelation 19, you can read about that. I told you we all come back with our white horses. We're with him. And then we're here on the earth with Jesus literally reigning as the king that the Jews were always waiting for. Where's their king? Where's their savior? Where's the Messiah? 
Well, now he comes back and he reigns during this time called the millennial kingdom for a thousand years on earth. It's a time of peace and prosperity with Jesus literally reigning. We're back with our glorified bodies. It's how you live for a thousand years on the earth. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 20. And so we pick up um, there and, and here's what Paul, the first thing Paul says in light of all of this Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you don't need anything to be written to you. He's like, I'm not going to have to spell all this all out again for you. Why? Why does it need to be written? He already told them. He told them when he was there in person. When he was there in person, he told them about this, which again, still just boggles my mind as a pastor that Paul, the church planter, in his three weeks there with his church, was 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 talking this stuff with little spiritual newbies, right? This is they're they're three weeks old in the Lord, and he's like, let me tell you how things are going to go in the end. And so he says this, verse two. Well, let me go back before I go to verse two. Go back to verse one. I, I want to talk about something here real quick. Um, the, the the idea of times and seasons. Let's let's talk about that because. Here's what always ends up happening when you talk about end time stuff is people love to um, know when and pick dates, right? And which is just, it's, it's silly to me because Jesus himself said, nobody knows the day or the hour when the sun's going to return. Nobody knows when this is going to happen. Not even the son himself. I shared with you last week the parallels between the Galilean wedding. And it's not until the father tells the son, Go get your bride. It's time. Go get your bride. And, and so nobody knows. But yet we have all these religious, I don't know, I lovingly call them wackos that just want to be out there and just picking dates, right? And putting it out there. And, 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 and what it does is it makes the rest of us normal Christians who believe in this um, look really bad because they're always wrong. And then what the world does is just discredits all this. Maybe it's, it's even poisoned your mind a little bit when, when we're talking about this and you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know, this is, I've heard all this stuff before. It's all like, and it kind of can get in there, certainly out in the world that discredits Christianity and discredits prophecy. Um, but I hope it doesn't do that to us. And so you're never going to know the date, but here's what Jesus, Paul says it and, and what, what, Jesus said is that you will know the seasons. Paul says, I don't need to tell you about times and seasons because I've already told you. I've already told you. You can tell what season it is. It's kind of like, how do you know when it's Christmas season? Well, you start seeing sales in the stores in October. <laughs> they, start, they start playing Christmas music. They start putting lights up in, in stores, right? Your kids start handing you wish lists, right? How do you how do you know? There's signs that it's Christmas time, and and in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 is is all about Jesus giving the signs of the season of his coming. So you you can tell the season personally. I'll give you my humble opinion then I, I think we are in the season. I mean, you start thinking about the signs of some of these things, right? 1948 was an incredibly important year in God's timeline of prophecy being fulfilled. Why? What happened in 1948? Israel became a nation, right? 
I mean, for 2,000 years almost, there was no Israel. There was no Jewish nation. The people of God were, I mean, 70 AD, Rome came in, destroyed the temple, ransacked Jerusalem, and the Jews were scattered all over the world, as it was known at that time. And, and so for the last, since 70 AD to 1948, there was no Jewish nation. There was no people of God. They were scattered. In 1948, now there's a national Israel. When that happened, it got Bible scholars' intention. Oh, oh, well, maybe now, now that there's national Israel, that God can start dealing with national Israel again. Seriously got their attention. Um, another thing about this technology, where we're at with technology today. I mean, we can know instantly what is going on in the world in a second, right? I mean, you, you can be watching what's happening in the Ukraine right now and, and just, and just be, be seeing live videos anywhere you go. And, and so there's, there's verses that talk about the whole world will be watching what's happened. 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, you're like, how's the whole world going to be able to watch what's happening? Now it's like, man. Uh, the idea of, you know, the mark of the beast and the whole lot. We have digital currency now. And so it's, it's, it, we're just a half step away. It's already being done with chips being implanted and things like that. So I'm not saying that is it or not, but I'm just saying it sure seems like the season could be here, right? There's current discussions because um, we know that during this time there's going to be a one world government. You know, there's current discussions that are taking place because of COVID and how diversified all the nations of the world were and how they handled COVID and what we did. That there is talk of having a one world government so that if there's another epidemic and an outbreak that happens, that the world will be unified in the way that we respond. That's, those conversations are happening right now. And so you just kind of, it just kind of seems like we could be in that season. It seems like. And so, um, Jesus wants you to know. He said, pay attention. And he said, that's why, that's why all this is really, really important. I used to be the guy over here in this camp. I told you, I'm just like, I don't get it. it it's confusing. It's like, let's just live. And, and, and the more and more I live and the more and more I read the Bible, the more and more I say, no, this, this, I, I would be a really, really bad shepherd. I feel like if I didn't tell the flock the things that God is saying. That's, this is what Jesus said. Pay attention. Learn a lesson. Here's what Jesus said. Learn a lesson. Verse 32 of Matthew 24. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know summer is near. In the same way, Jesus says, when you see all these things, all these signs that Jesus, Christmas lights going up, carols on the radio, kids like, when you see all these signs, Jesus says, recognize he's at the door. The time is near, right? Truly I tell you, Jesus says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Not meaning the generation that he is speaking to and hearing these words. He's talking about the generation that sees all these signs take place. That generation will not pass away until this stuff happens. And so Jesus says, so look at the fig tree, right? It's kind of like us, what we do in March and April. It's kind of like spring. It's one of my favorite seasons. It's so beautiful. Coming out of the dead of winter, it starts getting warm, feels good in your bones, right? And then you look at the trees and they start budding and you you know, I love it, you know what is right around the corner. Summer. The best season of the four, 
obviously, right? Not all you wackos that like the fall for pumpkin spice, right? It's like, it's summer. I want to hold on to summer as long as possible. What? But you know summer's coming when you see the trees beginning to bloom. That's what Jesus is saying here. Look at the fig tree. When it starts to bloom, you know the time is coming. So it will be with the Son of Man when he's coming. You, Jesus wants you to know the season. And there's signs that when things start to happen. And so I, we've got to pay attention to this, friends. If you can go back to verse 2, if you can find me verse 2, I want to define this new term for you. He says, he talks about the day of the Lord. You yourselves know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord, and it has, it has a, a semantic range of meaning, but for the most part, the day of the Lord, it's not a literal day. It's not a 24-hour day. It is a period of time when the Lord breaks in, in a sense, into human history. And God begins to then execute his plan on the earth. It's his day of what he's doing. And it starts with this event called the rapture. And it goes through, most consider, it goes through his second coming. The day of the Lord is this period of time. In the Old Testament, it's talked about judgment. It's a, it's a terrible day for the earth that happens. And, and so this period of time when Jesus comes back, removes his church, God pours out judgment on the earth, terrible time, Antichrist rises on the earth, and then Jesus comes back and, and defeats the enemies of God. That, that whole period of time is known as the day of the Lord. And what Paul is saying here is that is going to happen like a thief in the night. He actually uses two metaphors when he says um, this. He goes on and then in verse 3 says, When they say peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so he uses these two metaphors, both meaning the same thing. How a thief comes in the middle of the night and how labor pains come on, upon a pregnant woman is that they just, they just show up. It just happens, and you don't know. And so, he says, Christians, you, you, you shouldn't be surprised, though, because you know this is how it's going to go. You know how this is going to happen. Um, and then he says this in verse 3, when they say peace and security, when they say peace and security. And it's interesting, because for the next seven verses, the Apostle Paul is going to go back and forth. And he's going to talk about you and they, and you and they, and you and they. He goes back and forth comparing those who know Christ and follow Christ versus those who don't and don't follow Christ. And the first thing he does say is about they will say peace and security. We're good. We got this. Everything's okay. Right? You can imagine how crazy it is going to be during this time when millions of people have talked about just disappear from the earth. And it's going to set the stage for the world to be in chaos as God's pouring out judgment on the earth for somebody to rise to the top, a world leader, a political world leader, who's going to come and be like, we got this, peace and security. It's going to make a treaty with Israel. It's going to be okay. And I want to, I want to, I want to pause, and I want to, I want to, very carefully tippy-toe into something here. And I believe how it relates to what's happening in our world over these last two years. And, and this idea of they say peace and security. And this whole idea of they're going to be um, this political leader and this one world government and, and all of this. And 
um, and how the, it's going to be the Antichrist and Satan that's ultimately at work here. And so I want to read to you from 2 Thessalonians. We're going to turn the page just over. Paul wrote a second letter to this church. And in the second letter, he continues talking about end time stuff. And he talks specifically about this seven-year period. Whoops. And he talks about the Antichrist during this time. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says this. Now, I love hearing the pages of Bibles turning. That's awesome, church. Great. I mean, we'll keep putting the slides up, but there's nothing like holding your own leather. You smell it, it smells good Bible, right? Is that weird? I'd love to smell my leather Bible. That's, that's why I told you when we did the Bible series. Get a good Bible that you like holding and smelling, too. It's good. All right, that's got weird. Let me read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 real quick. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... And are being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter, supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has already come. That they were like, we missed it. Like all of this is already going on, and we missed it. And, and remember, their concern was about Aunt Edna, who's already in the ground. And what if but Jesus comes back? And what about? And Paul said, No, no, no. Don't relax. As if it, don't be concerned. As if this has already happened. Verse three. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. All of this is going to come, uh, will not come, unless the apostasy comes first. The apostasy is the idea of just falling away, denouncing the faith. Joe's humble opinion. I've heard more in the last couple of years of people renouncing the faith, leaving the church, leaving Christianity. I'm not just talking about the younger generation. I'm talking about older Christians. I'm talking about those. I don't know if you follow church culture or Christian thought in, the, in what's happening in the United States, but there are more people that have authors, um, pastors, musicians, artists, Christian artists, Christian worship leaders that are just denouncing Christianity. We were wrong. It's, we're atheists now, or we've turned our back on the church. Like There is a, a, a falling away. There is an apostasy that's happening. There's a whole word that's made of, of, of uh, this, this deconstruction movement of just kind of, and it's okay to wrestle with your faith, but there's more involved in that. There's just a wrestling and then chucking it out with it. I think, it, I think this apostasy, personally, is, is, is happening. It says, The man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. It's talking about the Antichrist, and this is when it's all going to happen right here. Verse 4, He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Halfway through, I told you, halfway through the tribulation period, he breaks the treaty with Israel, goes into the temple that Israel has, and declares himself to be God. At this point, everyone's going to still follow him. This is what Paul says, Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? Right, So he had these conversations with this young church. We talked about this, he's saying. Verse 6, And you know what currently restrains him, the Antichrist, so that he will be revealed in his time. So there's, there's something that is holding all this back. There's this restrainer that is in place that is holding him back. Verse 7, says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work 
but the one now restraining will do so until he's out of the way. So theologians wrestle over what is this restrainer? What is, who, who is this restrainer? And there's all kinds of theories out there. There's, there's leading ones and there's other ones. Some say it's the just general providence of God over the earth. Some say it's the Holy Spirit. Some say it's the church. Some say it's the preaching of the gospel. Some say it's the archangel Michael. There's all different kinds of who the restrainer is. And, and most, and it seems good to believe, this is what I personally believe, that it is the Holy Spirit that is at work through the body of Christ here on earth, this thing called the church. That it is the the power of God in and through the living vessels that have God in them here on this earth that is working to push back the gates of hell to fight evil here. Not people, but evil. And, And then when that church is suddenly removed, in a sense, the presence of God is suddenly removed from the earth and all that is left is unbelievers. And then it sets the stage for Satan to come in and really have his way. It's not like God is not present in the earth. He will be. But the the way that God is present on the earth now through living vessels that have the Holy Spirit. That's that's, that's my opinion what the restrainer restrainer is. That the restrainer, the church is then moved. And then it um, it says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Does it it seem like that? Does it seem like we're getting more and more lawless? Does it seem like we're getting more and more wicked? It's it's already kind of happening in play. It's important to, listen, it's important to not read the Bible through an American lens, right? Like we're the only nation in the world and we interpret everything through the Bible through what's happening in America. It's a big world out there, right? And so um, they have the same Bible. It's the same Bible that they use all around the world. It's the same word of God for the whole world. So it's important not just to look through an American lens. We can fall into that trap. But in general, this is the way the world is going. Verse 8 says, The lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. That's how the, the Battle of Armageddon, for all the, the name and the hype it gets in the movies and all this kind of stuff, it's going to be a really quick battle. Jesus gets on his white horse. We get on our white horses. We come back with him. And it says with the breath of his mouth, over. It's a really short battle. He comes back here. And, and, and destroys them with a word. In, in Revelation 19, where it describes us, it says he has a sword coming out of his mouth. And so it's the word of his mouth. He destroys the enemy. Will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Verse 9. This is, this is, this is a long setup to what I said I wanted to tippy-toe into a little bit here. I haven't even said the controversial part yet. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. He's, he's gonna, th- this world leader is going to have the ability to do powerful stuff because he's going to be empowered by Satan. Okay? Satan, the same one that we know in the Bible, is called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those that are disobedient. He is called... In a, uh, the God of this age, in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, God has allowed Satan to rule in this earthly realm. It is his realm. And he is working in the, 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 the people and the systems of this world. And during this end times, 
he's, Satan is definitely going to be working politically through this world leader who's going to come. Okay? And here's where I'm going to tippy-toe into it. And so I ask you to receive this with grace and hear my heart and to just have an open heart and open mind. And then 2020 happens, right? And we go through everything that we've gone through the last two and a half years. And we have seen unbelievable division happen, not just in our nation, but in the churches, in the churches. The last two and a half years have been the hardest years of pastoral ministry of my 26 years of ministry, of the, the, the taking the flock that you love and, and looking at it turn on each other and draw sides, lines down the middle and, and having sides. And this is all part of what I think the enemy wants to do. And, and this is what the scriptures say is going to happen in the end. Another reason why I feel like, man, we're, we're getting there. We're running this way. I'm not scolding you. I'm saying in general, but I am talking personally. And, and you have, right, these two sides. Of, 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 on this side, you say, well, everything that happened, the government has been uh, out of control, severe overreach with the lockdowns and the regulations and the masks and the vaccines and all this stuff. And, and it's, it's severe government overreach. Maybe, probably, I, I don't know. I, 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 I hate picking sides. And you're like, get a backbone, Snyder. And here's why I hate picking sides. Because as soon as I pick a side, I alienate half of you that I love. And you're like, oh, he's not on my side. And, and, and this is where it gets really, really tricky. Because this stuff is not black and white. Because there's those of you on the other side that are just like, no, this is just an awful disease that happened in the world. And why would we not take medicine? And we take other medicines. And why would we not wear masks to protect? And so you, we have these, these two sides, right, that are, that are going back and forth. And then all we're trying to do as spiritual leaders is say, God, what are you doing? What does your word say? How do I shepherd the whole flock without picking a side, alienating another side? You on this side got mad at me because we didn't take a strong enough stand. You on this side got strong, mad at me because we didn't take a strong enough stand, right? Both sides are mad. And I'm just like, can we just love Jesus, please? And that's, in all seriousness, my, my heart today is this is going to get worse. And this is where it gets tricky because there is going to come a point where the government is going to be led by a demonic person who is influenced by Satan, who is going to lead this stuff. And there is going to come a point where we say, no, no. Where the church will then have to rebel against and say no and be different. And, and that gets really tricky because in Romans 13, it says that we're to obey those in government and those that we are put in leadership. And so, and so for some of you, you very clearly in your heart and your mind saw this whole last year as like part, and this is the words that I've heard, and, and, and I, I see it a little bit myself as like part of this, it's like this was like a dress rehearsal, or this was like, this is like the, this is the, the Braxton Hicks of contractions that are coming, the labor pains that are coming, and, and so you can see how there's, we're being conditioned, we're working towards the conditioning of this kind of time, and I was like, I can kind of see that. 
And then you have others over here. Like, listen, man, I just live at home with my 85-year-old grandmother who's really sick and really compromised. And so I just want to be safe. And I just want to be cautious. And I, I want to do that. Can, you just, can we just love a little bit more? And like, I, I see that. And I see both sides. And, and then what I see is the enemy just stirring the pot of anger and, and sarcasm and division in the church when the church is going to be the last living breath of hope and love of Jesus left here on the earth when everything starts going sideways. And so my, my plea is that no matter where side you're on, that you would move towards the others with love and understanding and sensitivity and grace the way that Jesus would. How do you be with people that you don't just see eye to eye with on things? And for those of you that are over here, we can't just say things like, oh, you're just so fear-based. You're, you're walking in fear and you're being deceived. Open your eyes. If you, if you can't see it by now, you're never going to see it. Don't, don't, don't be so mad and angry at people that don't see what you so strongly see. And those of you that are over here that are looking at those over there and just saying, you're so selfish and you just want your rights and where's the love? There's no love. You can't accuse the other side of not loving because of what their spiritual convictions are showing them about what this might be when it comes to kind of precursor things to the end. And so how do we as a church, y'all hear my heart in this a little bit, all right? How do we continue to move forward and be a, a, an example to a nation that's so divided right now and you come inside the church and it's no different? And so how do we move together as the church in this in, in understanding that this is how it's going to go? Um, there's going to be deception. Is, uh, and, and so this is where we, I just think it, our, we got to spend time with the Lord. You have to be just walking with God to kind of, this is takes, it takes spiritual discernment. That's what I'm praying. God, I, I, I don't want to be led by the news. I don't want to be led by reactions. I don't want to be led by anything else but you and your word. What are you saying we should be and do during this time? Because here's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I told you end time stuff is all throughout scripture. You're going to see it now when you read scripture. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, says this. Know this, hard times will come in the last days. It's like, yeah, you can you could say that, right? And then he goes on to describe what hard times are going to be like. And then he says this in verse 13. He says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so listen, there is going to be a time of great deception. There is going to be a time of lots of lies, lots of hidden agendas, lots of ulterior motives. There is going to be that time. Was this last two years it? I don't, I don't know. Seems like certainly some. Um, do I think that the enemy's done a really good job dividing people? Yeah. And so how, how can we come together caring about where we're at on both sides and, and walk with a spirit of humility and grace and love and yet holding on the truth and not compromising? We've got to figure this out. Otherwise, the church is going to turn on herself and be no different than the world that things get worse. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew 24, the love of many will grow cold. You just feel your heart getting hardened and angered and, right, at both sides. And this is within the church family. And so, all right. We all right, everybody? All right. You can write me an email afterwards and 
Let me finish with, with, with this, verse 4. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, you're not in the dark. Which, again, is why like, I, 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 like we've got to talk about this stuff. We shouldn't be in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. We should all now know, verse 5, you're children of the light, children of the day. You live your lives in the light. Nothing to hide, no shame, no embarrassment, right? No covering up. It's like, here I am. I'm living for Jesus, children of the day, children of the light. For you are children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or darkness, verse 6. So then, let us not sleep like the rest. He's, not, he's now not talking about death. He was using the analogy of sleeping awake, talking about death and alive, but now he's literally talking about not taking naps, right? That's, that should happen every Sunday afternoon. He's not saying that. He says, let us not sleep like the rest, but stay awake and self-controlled. Like, don't be asleep at the wheel, church. Understand that there is, the king is coming back. There's a kingdom and a mission and a purpose here. So be awake, be self-controlled. He's going to say self-controlled twice here. Verse seven, because those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Like living like the rest of the world, he goes on to say, and here's what Paul's saying. The difference between the church and the non-church should be different as night and day, as light and darkness. And you should be people of the light so that people that are in darkness can see our great God in us. They can see the light. Light always wins over darkness. Light will always win over darkness, but the light has to be true light. And so, um, uh, worship team, come on up. You can skip that one point I have, and let's just go to verse 8, okay? Verse 8 says this, Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Second time he's saying this, be self-controlled, people. Put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. Here's Paul's triad of faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Right, This is to be the markings of Christians, that you're walking by faith, that you are people of love, and that you have great hope, the hope of salvation. It's interesting. Paul loves to use the analogy of soldiers and armor. This is not the first time he's done it. He does it numerous times to depict the life that we're living is going to feel like a battle. So you put on your armor, but it's armor of faith. It's armor of love. And then he talks about a helmet of the hope of salvation. Right, Not hope like, I hope all this stuff is true and I hope I hope I make it to heaven. He's not talking about that kind of hope. He's talking about when when you put on the helmet of salvation that you know in your mind, you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you have your faith in him. He then becomes your hope and your mind and your heart is guarded with this helmet because you know your hope is not in yourself and your good works and anything else. Your hope is in him alone and he becomes your hope, literally, an anchor, a secure hope. And so then it says this, verse 9, so God didn't appoint us to wrath. That's why I think we're not, going to be going, we're not going to be here for all this stuff. So the time is now to be the messengers. The time is now. God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Listen, if you get nothing else here today, this is your first time to next, and you're like, this is some weird, wacky, out there stuff. No, no, don't miss anything else except this. 
Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you. So whether you are awake or asleep, you're going to live together with him. If you know him, you love him, you follow him, you believe in him. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. So church, I, I, I hold this loosely about um, the season that we're in, and it seems like I'm giving you my humble opinion. I could be wrong. I'm not picking dates, but it sure feels like God's clock is running. It's been running. It sure feels like we're starting to see some signs. It sure feels like the stage is set. I could be wrong. We could be here for another 500 years. Don't know. But I want to live like he's coming back tomorrow. And I think you should too. And I want to be a church that moves in love and truth. And what does that look like? I told you last week in Matthew chapter 25... Jesus told a parable. Matthew 24, 25 is Jesus talking about the end of the world. And Jesus told this parable about the 10, the 10 bridesmaids, 10 virgins, five who were ready, five who weren't ready. Do you know what the very next parable, right after this parable, Matthew 25 is? Jesus told another parable. You know it. But in the context of Jesus, he's talking about the end. Let me read you the first verse. The first verse, get it, throw it up on the screen. It's Matthew 25. Here's what, here's what it is. For it, the kingdom of God, is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. It's the parable of the talents. Jesus is the man on the journey. He's come down, and now he's entrusted you with his possessions. You have gifts, talents, abilities, skills, everything that makes you uniquely you, God has done. And then he left. And now he says, hey, be about my business. He gave some five. He gave some two. He gave some one. And then it says he came back and he said, hey, how'd you guys do? The guy with five says, I doubled it. Well done. Guy with two, I doubled it. Well done. Guy with one, I didn't do anything. I was afraid. I buried my talent." that's the parable that comes next. It's an end times parable talking about what are you doing now while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and that's a question that that really only you can answer. What am I doing now? God, what do you want me to do now? Until you come back. God, show us. Give me a picture of our lives lived for you. What changes do we need to make? Thank you, Jesus, that you're our king. We love you. I pray that we would continue this conversation with the Lord, that this would not be the end of it, but this would just be the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, church.